to accept the flow of life, everything from birth to death and everything in between, you know, if we can start to just fall into this acceptance of it, that is, that's the foundation of peace. And so that's why it's so important to get people to realize this, because what I wouldn't want is for people to have a broken heart and just try and escape it through meditation. For me, that that's not meditation. That's 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 a whole that's a whole accentuation of the the problem and a further development of the, the the chaos that caused the issue. For me, it's, it is about taking people into that profound acceptance, that allowance, that ease, that rest with things. I founded the BeWell Collective, a not-for-profit organization that aims to bring nutritional education and mental health support to the fashion and creative industries. I believe the topics we discuss throughout our series are relevant to whatever industry that you work in or any issues that you might be facing. Because as a collective, together, we are stronger. Welcome to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well with your host, Sarah Ann Macklin. Today, we're going to be exploring meditation. Now, it's one I haven't covered on the podcast yet, but it's one which is fundamental to our overall health. It's been an Eastern philosophy for many, many years, but it's only recently that we've started to see the scientific evidence behind meditation for our physical health and mental well-being. And I want to explore why this is. For years, I struggled to meditate. I really struggled to relax my mind and sit there without twitching or thinking about other things. And I found that really stressful. And I know I'm not alone in that. So today, I wanted to bring you one of the best people I know in the field of meditation. He has been studying it for over 20 years. He's overcome his own obstacles. He started his meditation practice when the doctors told him that he couldn't be treated for depression. So he started to look elsewhere and it took him on a very interesting journey. We're gonna be looking at all the different types of meditation. If you struggle to meditate, where can you start? And the evidence behind meditation connected to our health. So today I have the fantastic Cornelius Oshinassi on who has spoken at many of our Live Well, Be Well events and has completely captured the room. He is a real expert in this field and I absolutely loved our conversation. We actually ended it with a 10 minute meditation. So you can actually have a hands-on experience in this podcast episode. I hope you enjoy it. Now, before we jump straight into the first episode of the six series, I want to take one quick moment to thank my fantastic sponsors for this episode, which are OMG Water. Now, I love this magnesium water drink. It's not full of preservatives and sugars and sweeteners. It's actually taken a step further and it's infused with some delicious fruit extracts, flavors and botanicals not just to provide an amazingly tasty range of drinks, but drinks that deliver some real benefits in our otherwise very busy lives. Now, a large majority of us within the UK are actually deficient in magnesium and lifestyle factors such as high stress and endurance exercise can deplete our magnesium stores even more. So it's really important to be aware of this. Now for me, food is always first. So magnesium leafy greens and nuts are full of magnesium. However, 
we're still highly deficient in it. So adding in an OMG water into your daily lifestyle can really help top up those magnesium levels because each can of OMG contains 56 milligrams of magnesium. And if you've listened to me before talk about these guys, you will know that it's as much as an avocado. Magnesium is an essential nutrient and it's talked about a lot when it comes to stress. Now, this episode is all around meditation, but it's so important to really look at all the different dimensions within our day-to-day lifestyles that can really help relieve stress. And magnesium is one of those nutrients. So if you want to go and check these guys out, head to www.ohmgwater.com. I absolutely love them and they have a range of flavours available from normal sparkling magnesium water to blackcurrant and echinacea with vitamin C, as well as my all-time favourite peach and rosemary with ashwagandha. I love them and I hope that you do too. Cornelius, welcome to Live Well Be Well today. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been so long me. since I've seen you. <laughs> yeah, since our uh, your Be Well event, we did the meditation. We did well more than a meditation. You did a kind of a good half an hour, forty five minute journey talk on meditation, which is why I wanted to get you on the podcast today because you really gripped that room full of people who maybe quite pessimistic about it and um, you've really got everybody involved so I'm thrilled to have you on here today. Um, so firstly I want to ask you can you just tell everybody a bit about yourself like who you are how you got into meditation because you've been in this for over 20 years and you've had from what I know and what you've told me before a most incredible journey into finding meditation. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I started when I was 15, I'm kind of 41 now, so yeah, I've been at it a good uh, a good few years. I started, like most people start, which is, you know, you have problems with stress and anxiety, uh, and a lot of people use it to kind of supplement other things that they're doing and uh, try and find a bit of peace within their mind. Unfortunately, I, I, I had a depression that was classed as treatment resistant, which means that you they tried all sorts of different types of medication, nothing worked. Um, uh, I, the psychiatrist said to me that you're pretty much in the dark ages as far as medicine is concerned uh, towards your condition you know have a look at everything uh, I told him I was already exploring meditation um, and it, it helped to, to, to a degree it helped kind of settle my mind uh, and at a certain point I decided actually I wanted to dive deeply into this because the promise is that it frees our mind from suffering uh, and so I started to delve uh, deeper and deeper into it uh, and the deeper I got into it and the, the, the deeper I got into the, the, the very uh, kind of root of the teachings as they were as they were originally taught, uh, they began to have this effect on my mind that freed me from uh, a lot of the pain and suffering and stress that I was going through. And so do you think that was the real antidote to helping heal your kind of depression and stress and anxiety? Or was there like a like a multifactorial process there? Was there other things that were helping as well? Or do you really feel like it, meditation was one of the main drivers of that? It was, it was, it was, it was meditation. I mean, more specifically, it's the philosophy that goes along with it. I mean, meditation is, is a very small part of a much wider philosophy. And when we think of kind of yoga and Buddhism and all this kind of stuff, we often think about you know, religion or spiritual beliefs. And actually, when you get down to the very root of these philosophies, uh, they're a, a study into how the mind works, what's real and what's not. 
Uh, and it's this really that that, that triggered uh, that, that triggered my my own my own healing is realizing what my mind was doing. So when you sit and meditate, uh, rather than just trying to calm yourself down, if you if you can actually start to just see how your mind's functioning and just rest into the experiences that are arising within you, then you start to transcend them. You start to move uh, move move from them. You start to they stop stop feeling so sticky. You stop being so entrenched in them. Uh, and that's really what started to happen is that, you know, through this meditative practice, you literally train your mind. So rather than when you feel panic or you feel stress or you feel anxiety and <gasps> stressing yourself out and resisting it and thrashing around within it, you start to train yourself just to sit and just to rest and just to be. And you start to notice that actually it's not what's happening that's the problem. It's my reaction to it. And then all of a sudden you move in from this sense of victimhood into kind of, you know, this sense of empowerment. That actually, it's my own mind doing this. And then your own mind starts to kind of remedy this. So it completely reverses this, the, the whole dynamic and, and the underlying uh, cause of, 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 of depression, really, which is, for, for, for most people, the way they're reacting to, to what's going on in their mind. And what about if you really struggle with meditation? Because I know when I first started meditating, I always thought that I was somebody that couldn't meditate because... I just couldn't focus. And then I would beat myself up for not being able to create that stillness. Mm. You know, so many people really get frightened of the word meditation for that reason. And how did you combat that? Because it sounds like, you know, you were struggling with anxiety and stress and depression, which is mm. probably counterproductive in the time of trying to sit there and do it. How do you get to that next phase of actually understanding that calmness and being present? I think that, you know, the issue for me when I started meditation is I, I did have profound anxiety. I was in kind of constant panic attacks and constant worry and I couldn't sit still. And so when I, you know, was learning meditation, how most people learn it, like you sit there for 20 minutes and you focus on your breath. It, that for me was just a, you know, was was just not not, not possible. I remember one of my teachers, when, they, when I first went to go and see them in India, they, they looked at, you know, me while they, we were all meditating and said, you know, you're going to end up crawling out the window. You're fidgeting so much. And, and, you know, this is a reflection of my mind. I couldn't sit still at all. And so for me, trying to still my mind didn't work and trying to get into states didn't work. And this is not actually what, when we look at the core uh, foundation of the philosophy of meditation, it's not actually what it recommends. What it recommends is that we just learn to sit and to, to sit with and accept what is arising. So rather than trying to get rid of our thoughts, we change our relationship to them. Rather than trying to get rid of our emotions, we change our relationship to them. So you can be meditating and, and you can be really stressed. You can be having a really bad day. You can be having so much going on. You can be having a panic attack actually, but as if you start to just rest and to just be and to just fall into a state of okayness with what's arising and you start to just let your experiences happen. This is this is when we start, when we start really meditating. Really the sitting, the focusing on your breath and trying to you know relax is, is, is a, a very kind of beginning stage that sometimes works for people. And yet, if you're in a state where you genuinely need meditation, you really have to. And when I teach people, I skip that whole part out, uh, you know, focusing on the breath and, and trying to trying to calm ourselves down. I skip that whole part out and move straight into the very crux of the practice, which is training the mind to just react differently to what's going on within and around us. And so is meditation different to mindfulness then? Because it's a really big question that I get asked a lot and I thought it was a perfect question to ask you because they always seem to be spoken about in different terms. But are they essentially the same thing? Because how you're describing meditation does sound quite similar to being quite mindful. Is it very different? 
Yeah, mindfulness is is really is a kind of form of meditation. I mean, you're, you're, when you're being mindful, you're being present in this moment and being aware of sounds and sensations. So this is this is one aspect of meditation, really coming into a sense of presence with what's arising, being present. Uh, and it helps us to just get rid of the, the obsession with the internal narrative and start just to meet reality as it is. But really what meditation is, 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 is much deeper. This is kind of a, a beginning stage. We begin to become mindful of our environment, easing ourselves away from narratives. And then with meditation, we move much deeper into, into a, a real kind of realization of, our, of, of the nature of our mind. That sounds quite uh, esoteric, but actually, what it means is is that we start to not be, uh, you know, just present with what's happening, but we start to turn our mind in and just just be with our own mind and start introducing ourselves to our own mind. We, instead of m- mindfulness, which is being aware of sounds and sensations, eventually in meditation we start to turn our mind in so that our own mind starts to look at itself. This is a, and this is really the culmination of of meditation it's a very end stage meditation technique and mindfulness is taking us on a journey to that um and some some teachings just stick with mindfulness it has these incredible benefits and you, you'll really see it in your life uh, if you start to you know just be aware of what's happening rather than your story about what, what's what's happening being aware of sounds and sensations but actually the culmination of the practice uh, is to to, to 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 really turn our mind inwards and start to realize the underlying nature of our mind. What is it that's aware of the sounds and sensations? You know, what is it that's aware of what's going on? And and, and actually the introspection into this. The type of teaching that I that I studied that that, that that hit the mark with me and that often does with people that have profound anxiety and depression that where they can't, you know, sit quietly and be present uh, is this uh, end stage teaching. Uh, it actually cuts out a lot of the pr- preliminary exercises and components of meditation and comes to this very direct experience of the mind very quickly. And so what's that type of meditation called? Because there's so many different types of meditation you hear now. Um, mm. And what's the one that you practice? Or what would you call it? So I, it, it would come under the branch of kind of non-duality meditation, which means not to. Um, uh, that's quite hard to, to explain non-duality, although it's very simple to explain. It means not two. What it means is that reality isn't made up of separate components. Actually, it's just one homogenous existing reality. And we create separation and we feel separation and we feel separate from it. But really, we are that life. So that's, that's one way of, it, uh, of explaining it. Uh, the yogic branches that I looked at, this is called the Advaita Vedanta. Uh, which uh, means the end of the Vedas, not two. And then Dogjan within Buddhism, which again is the culmination within Buddhism. And all of these approaches, what they have in common is that they often are totally, uh, you know, uh, they're totally not opposed, but totally uh, the, the, the recommendations and the teachings are roughly totally the opposite of what we hear in a lot of other types of teaching. So we're taught not to try and manage our mind. We're taught not to try and calm it. We're taught there's nothing wrong with us, that our mind doesn't need fixing. It doesn't need healing. It doesn't need anything. That all we just need to do is just rest. So on one level, it's a very simple teaching. And yet on another level, it's profoundly challenging. It goes into the very, uh, the very uh, helps us look at the very fabric of our mind, the very fabric of our being, the fabric of reality. It, it works on ripping up the conceptual overlays that we place onto life, all of these kind of this cultural conditioning, all of the, uh, the thoughts, the feelings and the emotions that have been brought into existence from everything we're experiencing and everything we've gone through. It kind of cuts through all of that. 
and sees it all as just an arising dream within the mind. And instead it comes to just seeing the mind with the clarity, you know, who are we? Who am I? What is my mind? And what it does is get us to look at that. And what we see is something very different than what we thought was there. We thought there was perhaps a suffering, damaged self that had a collection of experiences that either gave us something or took something away from us. Maybe there's sadness and depression, or maybe there's not. And we see ourselves as this ball of, you know, thoughts and ideas. And actually what this teaching tells us is that we're, we're, we're more than that. There's, there's something deeper to our mind. And if we go to that, what we call our mind's primordial essence, the very original state of mind, before all of this conditioning happened, then we see that there's this consciousness. And we start to notice specific things about it. We notice that, we, you know, for instance, we think that we're so changeable that our minds are up and down, our thoughts and, and emotions are always in a state of flux and change. But what we start to see when we look beyond the thoughts, what is it that's aware of the thoughts, the consciousness that's aware of the thoughts, it's actually immutable. It's not shifting. It's not changing. It's not damaged by anything that's arising. Nothing that's arising gives it anything. It just is. It's the equivalent of, you know, we look at the sky and you see how the uh, the clouds and the pat wet patterns of weather can shift and change, but the sky itself is actually not affected by it. It can appear it is with all of the thunder raging. It can appear that the sky is in this state of turmoil, but as soon as the thunder stops, we see that the sky is just what the sky always was, the clear space in which it was all arising. And this is what our mind is. Our mind is the a clear space in which all of our experiences are arising and we're not actually impacted by what's happening but because we're ignorant of that because we don't know the nature of our mind we think we are our thoughts and feelings and emotions we don't see what's beyond them so that the issue that we the issue that we have the primary issue we have is that we don't know who we are we don't know what we are we don't know our own minds and it's this that these final teachings really uh it's this that they remedy it's this that they focus on Wow, I mean that is it. When you kind of speak about the analogy of the sky, it's, it kind of helps make things a little bit clearer of your mind. And I think, mm. I mean, certainly from 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 a social perspective and and personal perspective, I think stillness can be quite a worrying and anxious place to be. Mm. But how important is it to recognise and bring in stillness into our everyday lives? Because I think we all live in such a manic world that creating stillness can be so incredibly hard yeah i mean it's often hard it's hard to create stillness but you know we don't really recognize the actual stillness of our mind often what you will find with people is that emptiness like you said it kind of terrifies us you know the idea that of, our, of us that our mind being empty is you know we we can see people cause all sorts of drama and live all sorts of weird and wonderful lives just to try and fill the emptiness and in fact emptiness is a kind of word we associate with depression nowadays isn't it um, but actually our mind mm -hmm. is empty. It Definitely. is like the sky. And, 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 and the, our thoughts and feelings and emotions come and go within it. So what, what we start to find is through kind of meditation and through this philosophy is people can start to feel the emptiness of the mind and realize that this is home, that this is peace, that this is stillness, that it's not something awful, that we don't have to struggle around trying to find an identity and assert who we are all the time. Actually, we can start to touch into this kind of deeper level of our being rather than panic and run away from it and that's the, the irony is is that people spend their lives running away trying to fill a void and actually it's falling into that that that, that, that actually brings us peace and that takes us home you know I do think that's a really good point to make and I think it's from anything that happens in people's lives that can be traumatic or worrying you do have this kind of get up and run 
and leave the situation. And how do you, how can you kind of, for yourself, and I know in your clinic at Body Maya, you obviously have a lot of different patients that come in and see you for certain reasons. And I can imagine a large chunk of them is because of anxiety and depression, because maybe they've read about your story. How do you get those people at that time to actually just sit down and start acknowledging that actually having a void is not a scary place? It's different for everyone. I mean, when I'm helping people one-on-one, it's often that I have to hear their story and, and put it in a different context first. They need to kind of let go of it. And often for people to let go of things, they have to come to a different set of ideas and conclusions about them. So often I'll talk to someone and say, actually, you know, this is fine, this is okay, you know, this is this is what's brought you here. I'll, I'll bring them to a moment of peace within, with their history. And then what we start doing is I start identifying what, what they are within their minds. So we go into meditation or we sit and talk like this and we start identifying how the mind's functioning, how the mind's working and get them to notice that thoughts, feelings and emotions, they're coming and going. They're, they're, they're there and then they're not there. And that what you are is there, whether the thoughts or the emotions are there or not. And in the absence of thought, you're still there to report the absence of it. So you're not thought. You're not emotion. Mm. Emotion and thought are things that you feel. They're things that help us navigate through the world. They're wonderfully useful. We don't want to get, eliminate them and get rid of them. I mean, emotion and, and, and thought, uh, you know, give life its, its richness. But it's when we believe that we are our thoughts and emotions and we become overly identified with them and we label mm-hmm. this as who we are, it's this that creates the problem. These are not who you are. They're just a set of conditioned responses arising in the mind. What you are is what's watching what's witnessing, what's seeing everything coming and going, and much deeper, this kind of void-like empty consciousness, you know, that we've just been speaking about. So you take people on a kind of meditative journey and a philosophical intellectual one to help bring them to this kind of realisation of, of who they are. But like you said, there's lots of different types of meditation. So often, often I'll employ different types of techniques depending on the person. There are some people, obviously this is quite a, a heady kind of technique it's quite intellectually intellectually driven and so for often people can find this confusing it's actually supposed to be confusing uh, the teachers that teach this method are supposed to teach quickly they're supposed to not worry about how much it's being understood and over time it, it kind of reveals itself whereas there's other teachings where you can take people like through mindfulness and simple meditative practices and simple teachings about you know how to be in the world and sometimes these are the, the most effective method of getting someone to kind of make peace with themselves to feel more peace it's, it's, it's about kind of tailoring it to the individual uh, but like I said often people with the most extreme states of anxiety it's these what they call them lightning bolt teachings that these these kind of core truths about thought and about who we are delivered to us in a kind of quite confrontational quite a confrontational way often and quite a direct way um, that, that that actually helps pull people from these kind of deep uh, uh, states of sadness or depression or anxiety mm. I mean you did mention there about all the different types so someone's listening to this and thinking this sounds exactly what I need you know what someone's first steps into going into meditation you know there's a lot of apps out there that can kind of be maybe some people's first go-to exploration of mindfulness and meditation mm. but how do you know if you've really kind of found your right meditation I kind of like to think about about it as also like therapy so you can go to lots of different type of therapy and they might not all work for you and it's not until you find that right therapist who really understands you that you really start to become more involved with it and and I, I feel like meditation could be quite similar in that sense 
there are all sorts of different approaches to meditation. And like you said, it's about finding the, the you know, the right one for you. I think it's a really good way of, of putting it, you know, like there's lots of different types of therapy therapies, and then there's lots of different types of therapists that deliver those different types of therapies. And it's about finding the right therapy and the right therapist. And like, like, you know, as you said, it's about exploring. Uh, it's about being open to different approaches. Sometimes it's not the one that you initially feel is going to be right for you either. When I first heard the type of teaching that that I teach and that was really effective on me, because of the way it's delivered, the teacher often will deliver it in quite a quite a chaotic way or quite a, a confusing way. And, 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 and he was very challenging about some of the things I was saying. Like I was talking to him about my back pain that I would struggle with for you know a very long time. I said, all I want is to find peace, you know? And I thought that this was, I was, felt quite noble in my search for, 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 for endless peace. Uh, and so the teacher, to illustrate his, the teaching about this, rather than deliver this nice, calm teaching for me, made me stand up in the room uh, full of people. He said, Cornelius, stand up. He said, here we have this, uh, this incredible being here. All they want is, uh, all Cornelius wants is uh, endless peace. Yeah, you know, and I, I felt, oh, you know, I felt quite good. You know, he's probably telling people that you know you're all wanting other things, and I just want peace. He said, "No, Cornelius is the greediest uh, little bastard you will ever see in your entire life." He said, "There are people that just want a minute of peace, a minute of bliss, but this greedy little bastard wants an eternity." And and so started this conversation where he ridiculed my state. He pulled the rug out from everything that he saw. He made me see that my mind was grasping hold of trying to find this peace and this perfection. And it was, it was, incredibly, uh, it was an incredibly confrontational way of, 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 showing me, of, of showing me what I was doing in my own mind. Um, so initially, I wasn't quite warmed to that, as you can imagine. But after a while, actually, I realized this type of teaching mm. very, very powerful. Whereas for other people, it's more about finding... Uh, you know, a calmer, more, 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 more structured, more kind of this, these type of steps follow A, B, C. And, and there are different people uh, that, that, that respond differently to different types. So for some, it's this kind of radical and uh, quite confrontational approach to teaching and very, uh, you know, often very, very heady concepts and intellectual uh, explorations. And for others, they prefer this focusing on the breath and then learning mindfulness and then learning teachings about compassion. And then, uh, so it's finding what's right for you. I mean, there are th things like Vedic meditation, where if you just want the practice of meditation and you're not interested in anything that I'm talking about, things like Vedic meditation, where they just give you a mantra, they talk to you about the science and you sit and do it. Okay, so it's, you know, that, that, that really suits mm. some people. The other, the downside to that type of teaching is that it doesn't deliver the all-encompassing philosophy that some some people need. But if you're just looking for a little bit of calm in your day, then 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 you don't need to get a sledgehammer to crack a nut. So 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 maybe this is the right type of teaching for you. But if you want something that's kind of goes into the nuts and bolts of your mind, which often people that have issues with depression, anxiety, and quite an extreme way need, then sometimes these more type of uh, dramatic and uh, you know confrontational and uh, confusing and end stage teachings are, are more kind of relevant with the apps that you can look at headspace or calm uh, you know there's there's loads of uh, different teachers that teach just just mindfulness um, if you're if you're someone who's uh, you are only interested in meditation for the relaxation then I, I think sometimes these kind of simpler approaches can be more beneficial for you so it's about finding what's right for you. Yeah. And isn't, I feel that's a philosophy of life anyway, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. like tailoring your needs yeah. 
basically finding out what you need, same as nutrition, same as exercise, same as mindfulness and meditation. It's about so many times in society, especially in today's society, we are kind of told that we should be doing one thing and going one way and we're influenced a lot by social media and it can be Mm. quite hard to navigate your own path or figure out what's right for you because it could be told on social media or from friends or from your social group that actually that's not the way that you should do it so it can be quite hard to actually find your own group and find your own way and how 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 do you do that how do you feel that strong strong enough kind of urge to say no I'm not going to follow what society tells me. I'm going to find my own way and what works for me that's quite a hard realization to do for so many people isn't it I think, yeah, it is for a lot of people. And a lot of people, you know, often gravitate towards what everyone else is doing. I think a lot of it comes from uh, the teachers and the nutritionists and the fitness people you're working with. Usually if they really know their stuff and they know what they're doing and then they're, they're kind of quite confident in what they're teaching, they will tell people, you know, find what's right for you and explore and go on your journey and try different things. And for me, that's the mark of a really good teacher is a real looseness. And it's not dogmatic. If you have any, you must do this and you must do that. And if you don't do this and you don't do that, then this to me is a kind of red flag for me. So I, I've always explored uh, teachings with with, with, with with teachers that are very open, uh, you know, that are very all encompassing in, in, in their approach. And I think that's really, it's really important to be aware of that. So if you start to sense a little bit of a, you must do this or this, then uh, then usually this is, this is someone who is perhaps not kind of doesn't have the fullness of their teaching yet or isn't quite confident in it or is just approaching it in the wrong way and then like you said you know it's it's having courage and being brave enough to actually not do a lot of what everyone else does and this is often where you find the people that excel within you know any field is that they detach themselves from what they should be doing and they throw themselves into the chaos of the unknown and uh and into and into uh uh, yeah, a much kind of deeper, uh, deeper, uh, deeper approach to things. The one that's perhaps not, uh, you know, ticking every box that it should do on, on, on you know, with, with 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 Instagram or with, you know, their the, the, their peers. And it's it's you know they kind of march forward with a creativity. And so I think if you can bring that into your search for you know for health and for well being, then you will find much, uh, much uh, you know much deeper effect within you, and you'll find some real kind of great teachers but I think it's an interesting point especially in a world today where we're always told kind of what you should and shouldn't and there's a whole kind of you know rigidity that is around all of this and, and especially with meditation because it can be a, and you can often learn meditation from different kind of religious paths and everything like that so I guess it's being cognizant enough to know that and and to kind of make sure you you you, you value the, the kind of openness and creativity in it. I always love a fact, Cornelius, and I always love a study. And I, what I love about meditation recently is that obviously you've been studying Eastern philosophy for over 20 years and you've really been there at the core of it and you have so much knowledge around this. But it's only recently that this has become more mainstream and there's obviously a huge benefits to that because now people are taking it more seriously and if you were to go to a GP I mean I can imagine actually when you were suffering with your depression that was probably early 90s would I say that was probably around the time like going to your GP and saying I'm going to go and work on my mindfulness and meditation he probably didn't have a clue what you were talking about but now so many GPs are actually aware of the importance of mindfulness and meditation connected to you know your physical health as well 
and your mental health. And I don't know, have you seen the 2011 study which was published in the Psychiatry Research on Neuroimaging and Journal? And basically it showed that mindfulness and meditation actually changes your brain chemistry. And obviously this relates to your whole story of where you're showing that your symptoms of depression really improved. But they they took a lot of participants, they put them through mindfulness and meditation and they showed that their MRI scans actually showed a growth in the hippocampus and that's the area related to memory and learning and that also showed reductions in the gray matter in the amygdala in people who can meditate for 30 minutes a day I mean that's staggering I mean that it actually I mean this is what I love now about people taking meditation and mindfulness much more seriously because there's so many studies that actually show that it can change your brain chemistry and I just think that is fascinating and obviously not just you know parts in the hippocampus and and more within the mind also you know physical symptoms so one study showed that it reduces back pain quite significantly or pain in the joints because you're becoming more mindful or it can Mm. help with immunity or it can help reduce your IBS symptoms I mean there's so many different areas of research now and more and more emerging around the importance of meditation with all different aspects of health whether it's mental health whether it's physical health and I just think that it's only going to get more and more and more but what is it why do you think that meditation is now shown to be so beneficial for so many areas is it because the mind is settling more or what, what what's your kind of interpretation on all well, of these fantastic I mean, what, results when you're the best way of describing it is when your mind's in a state of of panic, your your mind will only pay attention to really keeping you alive and your your kind of the, the functions that it really needs to maintain. When you start to relax and you say you take your mind off of kind of fight or flight mode, then all of a sudden the mind signals to itself, ah, oh, we're not in a state of panic anymore. And so there's lots of other things we can be doing. So even the, the, the way your blood flows, it starts moving more to the extremities and less to the organs. And also our brain, uh, this is the most significant uh, thing, starts to function at a higher level. We become less selfish and less me, me, me and how things are affecting me. And we start to become more, you know, centered around wisdom and compassion, intuition and insight, uh, you know, start to start to flare up. Creativity starts to move up. And it's all because we've taken the mind out of panic mode. So what you're seeing when you look at the science is you're seeing all the kind of physiological reactions to that changes in the brain chemistry and changes like you say even in the very structure of the mind but it, it all starts with taking our mind out of out of panic really um, and, and 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 we when we talk about panic we often think about panic attacks or worry but actually when we're moving through our life it's our desires the things we want and the things we don't want that we're constantly overlaying onto our experience that are actually stressful for our mind like i don't want to be feeling this pain well, sometimes pain is felt. And if there's a resistance to it, then we, 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 we've got a degree of panic there. Or if we're moving through our life thinking, I, I really wish I had this ideal relationship. I wish I had this, you know, more money. I wish I had a bigger house. Like all of these kind of wishes that we're overlaying onto things tell our mind, you're, this is not okay. You're not in an okay state. And so what meditation helps us do is it ultimately helps us uproot desire. 
really. And so we come into this state of stillness. So that starts off by being okay with sounds and sensations and just being present. And then it moves deeper into realizing the nature of our mind, realizing the changelessness, the emptiness of our mind, and realizing that we don't need to fill it with so many things, that we don't need to worry about trying to avoid so much, and we don't need to worry about chasing so much. So the mind goes into this profoundly settled state, profound states of relaxation. And, uh, you know, some states of relaxation so relaxed, you forget yourself completely. You forget your, 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 your human, you forget your mind, you forget your thoughts, you forget your body, you lose consciousness of absolutely everything. Uh, and this takes the mind into these profound states of, uh, of, of stillness. And from those, all of these kind of weird and wonderful, uh, you know, um, yeah, experiences and abilities arise. It's not. It's and what they're finding is is they're finding the, the, the you know the physio physiology of that now. They're they're actually seeing it in real time and they're seeing oh wow you know when we're looking at the this part of the brain that it actually the part of the brain that controls the sense of self is modified by meditation. And when we see that that structure of the sense of self starts to dissipate or that, that, that area of the mind starts to become impacted in a different way through meditation, all of a sudden, what, what, what was selfish, the mind that was selfish becomes more selfless. And so now we're starting to see the kind of the physiology and the science of compassion and of enlightenment. Um, so that, and, and, that, and, and this is only going to get, you know, kind of more and more proved the more and more we look into it and the more and more we study it. But we're starting to see that what we're looking at, that we kind of use the term spiritual. I don't, I don't even really like to use it anymore. It's, it's, it's much, much deeper than that. It's, it's, it's about who we are and how we function um, and what we can be, what we can become. We can be so much more than just this suffering sense of self wandering around trying to get what we want from life and avoid what we don't want. It can be so much more than that. And this is what meditation delivers to us. I think that's such an interesting point. I have a lot of friends recently have kind of come out of relationships and they're feeling a lot of what you described, like this real emptiness and loneliness and, and worry. And, and also, I guess, without ever thinking about it, there is a, a very selfish part to that of I want, you know, I want this ideal relationship, which is not selfish when you talk about it, but actually taking yourself out and becoming more selfless and going more into actually what you are, your, your, your actual needs are sound much more enjoyable way of looking at it. But I always find that when people are in those situations, it's very hard to get them to that point. It's very hard to get mm -hmm. them to actually step back and say, wow, actually, if I can do this, I will help improve because there always seems to be a large block for so many people to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you've got to get people to the point where they realise that actually suffering and loss are, are, part, are part of life. That, that's just it. And if we could, if we could, we would try and eliminate everything that ever hurt us. And actually, what we really see when we look at the things that hurt us is they've carved, you know, the marble of our soul, you know, they, they, they have, they have, they have changed us, they have challenged us, they've brought us empathy, they've brought us kindness. And so these things that we would, we were trying to resist, I don't want to feel my broken heart. These are actually the most defining and most enriching experiences of our lives. So for me, it's about helping people see that so that they, they can feel the brokenness of a broken heart. Like it doesn't feel great. It's not supposed to feel great. But to, to, to start to feel that there's not something wrong in that experience actually allows them to open up to it. It allows them to feel it. It allows it to move through you, you know, like grief and sadness when you lose someone. It's not supposed to be easy. You're not supposed to mute that. 
grief is the other side of love and, and, and to kind of get someone's mind into a position where they allow themselves to feel it and they open up to it and they see how you know this is a, you know a, a fundamental aspect of life that can't be resisted it totally changes the dynamics of the situation because what you have when you have heartbreak with a load of resistance to what you're feeling is a whole separate kind of problem you have uh, something that uh, feelings and emotions within you that are wanting to be heard and you're overlaying, I shouldn't be feeling this, I don't want to feel like this, I wish I felt better, why can't he come back? Da, 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 da. And it leads us into these panic states, again, that are not good for our mind, they're not good for our body, and they're not good for our decision-making process as well. If we start seeing that you know suffering and loss and things like this as fundamental parts of life, so we can start letting go of things you know that perhaps aren't good for us you know we can start making wiser choices wiser decisions we can start finding more of a restfulness within some of these more challenging experiences so i think it's getting people to see that rather than just trying to get them to meditate it away or you know, it's so important for people to have that kind of you know philosophical you know enrichment within that experience mm. I think a really large part of what I'm learning today is a lot of the meditation is around letting go and it's around acceptance. Would I be right on that? Would it be right about accepting and being present? Yeah, it's about it's about acceptance and it's about letting go and it's about letting life. I mean, we're we're constantly really walking through life, wagging our finger at life, telling it what it should be more of and what it should be less of. And we lose the the miracle of the experience of life. You know, meditation is really a trusting in existence. That's what I would, you know, kind of summarize it as. You get your mind to the point where we fall into this state of trust and allowance. And like you say, letting go, you know, just falling, falling, uh, falling out of the tree and not trying to grasp hold of all the branches as we come, you know, as we fall, as we fall down, actually just allowing ourselves to fall through life, to accept the flow of life, everything from birth to death. And everything in between, you know, if we can start to just fall into this acceptance of it, that is that's the foundation of peace. And so that's why it's so important to get people to realize this, because what I wouldn't want is for people to have a broken heart and just try and escape it through meditation. For me, that that's not meditation. That's 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 a whole that's a whole accentuation of the of the problem and a, a further development of the the, the chaos that caused the issue. For me, it's, it is about taking people into that profound acceptance, that allowance, that ease, that rest with things. And it's one of the things you should look for in, when you're dealing with you know, meditation teacher or meditative approach is that it should give you that sense of ease. You know, you don't want people sitting there kind of, you know, <laughs> trying, to, trying to meditate their, uh, their misery away. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's quite counterproductive. But it's so true. I think so many times, well, especially when I started meditating years ago, it was about box ticking. It was like, yep, yeah, I've done that. Great. I've ticked a box. And like, was I getting any benefits from it? Probably not. It's because I just felt like I should sit there and be mindful for five minutes. I mean, obviously now, years later, I, I've I've kind of realized that that's, that's not the way. And I'm definitely nowhere near at the peace stage yet. But I, it's more of a practice that I'm learning and trying to understand. Um, and I think for me, I do a lot of and this is more mindfulness, but a lot of body scans to see actually how I'm feeling um, mm. and checking in with myself. Because I, for personally, I think I have a, a busy life and I ever really stop and think how I actually feel. Mm. Um, and I guess that's more of a mindfulness state. But I do think that so many times it can be a box ticker meditation and yeah. it's about getting away from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I see some of the some of the people that come and see me, and they think they're very, you know, proficient meditators, and they'll come and say, "I meditate for ninety minutes every day," and I'm like, "Oh, that's great." And then oh you, you sit, kind of, <laughs> I know, I'm like, "That's better than me." 
and then you start seeing the, what, what you know, the rigidity within their practice. And it's all about them avoiding life. And, you know, they've got, they're up to their neck in kind of work and their life's falling apart. And they're just trying to find, you know, that one moment of peace through, med- through meditation and actually realize that, that they're approaching it all in the wrong way. Some people don't like to hear that, but, but yeah, you're right. Actually coming to, to, to a very, it's about, I think it's about realizing that it's not a practice to sit there and manage yourself into, into peace. It's actually like you say, and this is where mindfulness can be great and being body scanning can be great. It's about kind of meeting your, your feelings and your emotions. And like, like we said, coming into this state of kind of allowance and peace and softness and, uh, you know, and, and, and really realizing as well that meditation is not something you do for 10 or 20 minutes. It's some, you, all we're doing with meditation is really sitting and bringing this, this, this higher and wiser point of view to things, you know, we're allowing ourselves to fall into an acceptance and allowance and, training our mind to hopefully then when we open our eyes not seeing this at the as the end of the meditation at all and actually when we open our eyes that's when the work starts that's when we bring our meditation into our lives you know when someone shouts at us at work when when our emotions come up or when we're 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 let down by someone how are we responding to that how are we rejecting it are we running away from it or we just feeling are we just feeling into what's happening and finding a wiser and more restful approach with ourselves and others so it's, it, it, it's a very much about not seeing it as a kind of sit down tick box. I've done my 20 minutes or however long you, however long you do. And therefore I'm going to get all my benefits from it. it. It is about, you know, people that get the most from the practice and, 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 you know, you see all the benefits that you read about are the people that have this much more holistic uh, approach to it. Okay. So I really do want us before we finish the, podcast to do a meditation yeah so absolutely. I'm aware of time on that um and just because you did it at the be well and it was oh, I don't know why your voice is just infectious and it really really I find your voice very, very calming um and I don't think there's that many people that have that type of I don't know what's the word I'm looking for my brain's not working on a Monday morning but it's very hard for people to have that kind of reaction to somebody's voice. And you seem to have this very therapeutic, calming voice to the mind. I don't know. Have you ever been told that before? You must have been. Yeah, I think people, people do. I think, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I, I think my, my boyfriend might feel differently about my voice. But sometimes when you look at some of the, uh, listen to some of the apps that you see uh, uh, on, 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 the, on, on, on the phone, some of the voices are, are, are not uh, conducive, perhaps, of relaxation. But, They're not. Yeah, but, you yeah. need to do an app and it needs to have your voice on it because I, I know that it will become, you know, in definitely one of the top apps because you just have such an infectious voice for this (laughs) um so before we go on to that and I really want to do it and I think we should do 10 minutes what do you think is the most yeah absolutely we can do that meditation on a podcast too long should we do that so before that can you kind of round up I mean we've kind of gone through like what meditation is and how we can apply it and you know the physical benefits and the mental health benefits and why it's important but can you give us any kind of tips and tricks for meditation? So how can people apply this into their everyday life quite quickly? You know, what can people do? Or how can people start introducing this after listening to the podcast? I think the, the, the first thing is, like we said, find a, a teacher and approach that really, really works for you. Explore lots of um, different uh, teachers and approaches to find the, the right one that's the one that's right for you. Uh, 
you know, really focusing, I think, the kind of thread of what we've spoken about with the podcast is how you approach meditation, uh, what meditation is, understanding the myth of meditation. It's not about getting rid of your thoughts. If you sit there and think actually meditation is about not thinking, you're going to have a very, very stressful time. Uh, So it's about understanding that meditation is this, like we've spoken about, this kind of surrender into into this moment, presence, and and, and being being still and, and feeling things, allowing things, actually allowing our thoughts and emotions to arise, to come and go into in the clarity of our mind, um, rather than trying to emit or uh, get rid of or also heal. Even trying to sit down and think, I need to heal all these emotions, is a resistance to them. Just feel them, feel them. You know, the, the irony is the paradox is that. By stopping to res- stopping resisting our feelings and emotions and just allowing them, they naturally heal. But when we try to heal something, we just want it away, really, don't we? And it's it's this that we we, we need to mm. we need to start looking at what we're you know how we're meeting these emotions and feelings. It's this that we really need to focus on. So it's it's really about really understand what meditation is before you practice. It will save you a lot of time and a lot of hassle and a lot of stress if you just uh, have listened to this podcast and you know, wow. I just sit down and just let everything be. I mean, it's just, it's so simple, really. Uh, and it mostly, you know, comes down so to... simple, but so difficult at the same time. Yeah, yeah, we make it difficult because our minds don't want to do that. Um, but actually just 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 to know... Yeah. But I say to a lot of people, you know, how do I, how do I start meditation? Just start. Just go and sit on your mat. And it doesn't matter if you're climbing the walls for 15 minutes for the first six months. Just sit and just take that time just to watch. See what's going on in your body. Notice all the resistance. Notice all the, I can't meditate. I can't do this. I can't do this. And wish this was better. I wish that was better. I'm thinking about what I'm getting for dinner tonight. And just sit with all of it. Come into an ease with it. So, so I think that's the, 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 real, the, real, the real important thing. To find a right approach. To find, find and work with a good teacher who can help guide you through it is also really, really important. To help you see perhaps where you're creating a few different errors. We've all sat there for you know, many months on end, perhaps doing kind of meditations to try and fix ourselves or try and eliminate our thoughts and actually having some kind of guidance, whether it's through the apps or whether it's through one-to-one direct teaching or or whatever, but to find some kind of guidance and support. I think these are the really, really important things. And and there's really, when you, once you get that, there's no right or wrong way of doing it really, you know, whatever mantras you're doing and whatever you're focusing on and whatever, uh, you know, religion you might be doing it within. And it, it really, it really, that's kind of beside the point. It's this, the spirit of the practice. It's the important thing. Mm. I feel like it's unteaching life's lessons of having mm. to do everything well and to the best of your ability. And again, conf- conformity and all of these things. I feel like it's kind of unteaching. Yeah, that's exactly. It's a really good word for it. It's a really good word for it. Yeah, I, I often call it the great undoing. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's 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 it, it, you know, nirvana means to extinguish as well. <laughs> People think that nirvana is it means mm. insulted state. Nirvana means to extinguish, to put out, um, and it is very much about you know snuffing uh, out this kind of uh, this this chaotic way of resisting and uh, clinging and becoming so entrenched in our internal world and coming to this this sense of an allowance and peace and and like you say letting go of everything letting go of all the ideas the expectations the you know from ourselves our culture all of our story letting go of absolutely everything so on that note can we Mm. do a meditation we can we can okay so 
just close your eyes. I'm so excited. Okay. (laughs) So if anyone's listening, what should they be doing? Just sitting down on the floor? Yeah, you can sit down. You can lie down. There's all these kind of ideas about how one should sit and everything like that. And actually, it's about finding a degree of comfort, not being worried about being too comfort, but uh yeah just finding a, a a a place where you can sit for a while so for some it's a chair for some it's lying down dangerous if you lie down you might fall asleep for some it's sitting up straight sitting up straight fall helps sleep yeah i often say it's on my retreats and in my classes sometimes the ones that fall asleep if they're going to lie down they have to sit close and they put their feet towards me and if they start snoring I, I'll, I'll grab one of their toes and yank it <laughs> because they're they're, they're so used to, <laughs> they're, they're so used to falling asleep when they meditate so yeah which if you're in a room full of people snoring it's not a good look so but yeah getting comfortable is is, is the main thing. no that's so true <laughs> okay so okay just, i'm comfortable cornelius i'm comfortable good good so getting a that's comfortable and closing our eyes And bearing in mind everything we've just spoken about, just allowing the mind to rest. Just being aware of what's arising, so sounds and sensations, thoughts, emotions. We're not resisting anything allowing it all to be we spend our lives feeling things and then saying i don't like this i do like this experiencing things saying i want more of this and less of that and actually what we don't realize is it's this that causes the sadness within us the stress the panic it's not what's arising that's the problem it's the way we're meeting it so our meditation is coming to these things with stillness and openness and allowance as we sit and just breathe, accepting every sound, sensation, every thought, every emotion. We notice as we fall into this sense of peace and ease with things that they come and nearly as soon as they come they'll naturally just disappear. If something wants to stay that's fine too. Bringing in the sense of ease, the sense of allowance. Just noticing the mind's aware. This is what we call the primordial state of the mind. Often people go looking for fireworks and significant experiences in meditation, but it's not about that at all. It's about what's already there, your mind as it is. Noticing that your mind's always conscious that your thoughts, emotions and feelings are coming and going, they're in a state of flux and change. They're unstable by their very nature. There's something about your mind that's not unstable, it's always there, it's constant, continuous. You're not having to do anything to maintain it, it's effortless. Your mind's aware. Being ignorant of this, not knowing this inherent stillness that we have within the mind, this changelessness in amongst all of the change, not knowing this, we can start to panic and thrash around and try to stabilize thought and emotion and experiences. They can't be stabilized. 
because they're all coming and going. As we meditate, we begin to see the primordial nature of the mind that's always there. All of this grasping and clinging can fall away. All of this thrashing about in the sea of our perceptions, our experiences, can fall away. Just from noticing the very ordinary moment-to-moment -moment awareness of the mind. Just recognising that the mind is conscious and just staying with that. Letting thoughts and emotions come and go as they please. Noticing that the mind is aware. So we over-identify with the thoughts and the emotions. They're just conditioned responses. You notice this as you sit. They actually have a mind of their own, don't they? You're watching them come and watching them go. They burst into life and then they disappear. We often say, I think and I feel as though we're making it happen. And actually as we sit and watch, we realise it's happening all by itself. Conditioned responses are arising. There's no reason at all why you should be worried or panicked by what's arising. There's no reason to flap around, to thrash about in these experiences. And the more we see that the mind is just conscious and amongst all of this, this changeless consciousness, the more we see this, the more we can rest, the more we can let go. As we rest and let go of the mind, easing away from panic state, desirous state, the mind falling into desirelessness and acceptance. Naturally, these conditioned responses start to ease. Thoughts and emotions start to ease. As we sit and as we breathe. So our meditation is not about maintaining a particular state, but just watching the mind, seeing the mind as it is. All these things that we grasp hold of, that we identify with, these thoughts and the emotions, they're just really hallucinated by the mind. Stories that the mind overlays onto things. No reason why they should bother you so much, why you should be so affected. Island. There's no reason why we need to put so much value into everything that's felt, everything that's thought. There's also no reason to reject any of it or suppress any of it. We develop this profound openness of mind. Through this self-knowledge, through this knowledge of ourselves and how the mind works and what it's doing, we can find this profound sense of ease, peace. No need to chase some things and avoid others. And just simply allow the mind to rest.
noticing that the mind's aware. Meditation, just this consideration of this point of view, not trying to heal anything, not trying to fix anything, not trying to get rid of thoughts or emotions, just bringing this wiser point of view. And then, whenever we're ready, there's no rush. We can slowly open our eyes, and as we do, stop seeing this as the end to meditation, start seeing as we open our eyes, we bring this state into our daily life. So you can imagine bringing this meditative state, bringing this state of acceptance and allowance into all of our experiences as we move through the day. So just, so just a few minutes, that's all we really, really need. We need to worry about hours and hours or just taking the mind into this state. You even just did this for a minute every day or two minutes every day. It would be far more fruitful than uh, sitting for hours and hours. I felt like we should have done this before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it changes everything, doesn't it? Just five minutes. Kind of like, oh. It really does. <laughs> My yeah. head, like all the words that I was struggling to get during the podcast, it all feels so much lighter. Why did I not think about this? It's good though, isn't it? You start to oh, see it. Yeah. It's, it's so good. You just feel, you just feel so much calmer and you just feel more clearer. That's how I would describe mm. it. Like, you know, during that meditation for me, I was definitely sorting through everything I needed to do, like things that were on my mind, but I was doing it in more of a calming manner, probably because your voice was quite calming, but I didn't feel stressed, but it felt like I was organizing things in my mind and then my mind just went clear. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's that, that's that's the thing is, because you're, you're not trying to eliminate thoughts or achieve anything, it's just you're, you're reducing the level of desire and resistance in the mind. And so what happens is really all of the thoughts and emotions as they arise are really to do with desire and resistance mostly and so when we when it's reduced through the practice all of a sudden they just kind of vanish it's kind of the, you know it's, it's 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 quite ironic that we don't actually try to get them to disappear it's, it's, it's what we we don't place any effort on doing and actually we get to the very root we remove the wood from the fire which is the desire yeah amazing well, Cornelius, for anyone that I know you run an incredible retreat, which is a, a kind of, I guess, I would say on hold because of the pandemic, yeah, because yeah, obviously yeah. the, the traveling, but you know, that's Body Meyer. And could you be able to tell people where they could find you, if they can come and see you in London or do you do, are you doing consultations via Zoom? Like if anyone wants to get in contact with you directly, how can they? Yeah, I, I do consultations via, via Zoom. Uh, you can find me at uh, bodymeyer.com, emailing there or corneliusnonduality.com. 
Uh, I'm also on Instagram. Uh, I've got Body Maya for more, more, more focuses on the practice and then a Cornelius non-duality, which is kind of for my more advanced students or people that are interested in the kind of heavy kind of uh, philosophy. Um, so kind of feel free to have a look at, uh, at what's at what's there. But the, yeah, you can find me at any of those places. I'll pop it on in the show notes as well. For anyone that's like yeah, scrambling for a pen going bodymaya.com, <laughs> um, I'll pop it on in the show notes. So people yes. can make sure that they know they can go there and find you directly. Yeah, so I'm doing, I'm going to be doing um, a lot of workshops online and I'm going to be doing some retreats and most of my workshops are by donation as well. Um, uh, and most of my retreats are, I'm also doing are recorded now. So I'm trying to make it as open and available as possible. I think everyone deserves uh, to, you know, to have to experience the benefits of meditation. And I think making it as open and available um, to everyone is really important. That is that is one of the I think that's a very important thing because there are definitely dimensions of certain places of meditation that can feel very elitist and feel mm. yeah not encompassing to everybody so I think that that's absolutely fantastic that that you're you're doing it by that donation base and um yeah all more admiration to you actually for kind of recognizing that I think it's brilliant um so before we go because I know we've run out of time mm. but I always like to finish asking all of my guests on their podcast and I feel like yours I'm one of the most excited to know Cornelius, what does live well, be well mean to you? Live well, be well. For, well, for me, live well, be well is really about uh, bringing, my, uh, bringing a better state of mind and a better way of being to life. For me, that's what it's all about. It's not necessarily about, uh, you know, anything, in, anything specific. It means different things to different people. But I, I think it's really about approaching life in a way that, uh, that is better, a better way of being. I think that's what I look at it as. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on Live Well Be Well today. (laughs) I have so many take-homes. It's unbelievable. And this is the perfect way to start my day. And hopefully it's the perfect way to start or end our listeners' day as well. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you all feel very relaxed and calm and mindful after that wonderful meditation. Do try and save this episode for any times when you might need that meditation at arm's length. And until next week, I hope you will live well and be well. Before you go, I have something new to tell you about. There's brand new bonus content waiting for you with every new guest I speak to. These are exclusively for my inner circle of Apple subscribers. To listen now, head to the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts, where you can activate your free trial and you can enjoy the podcast without adverts.